You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast. We hope you're having a great day wherever you're listening from. We've got a great show for you today. Today's guest is an industry veteran with over a decade of experience. He's the CEO of the Stanislaus County Fair, an organization that I will argue has delivered some of the best commercials of any event in our industry. We'll talk about all that and more today with Matt Cranford. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to being here. Well, I'm glad you could you could get on the show real quick. Can you give our nine listeners um, who are out there an idea of how you became the CEO of the Stanislaus County Fair? Uh, pure luck. You want to be honest. Um, That's I a great answer. Let's move on to the next question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. No, so it, luck. It, it, what, really... what happened there? How did you end up there? Because if I remember, you were with San Mateo there for a while and then ended up coming on over to Stanislaus. So what went down with that? Uh, I fell into it doing on the event side of the business. I started out doing events, working in convention centers, uh, worked there in San Mateo for a while, got into the fair side of it. And I'm from Turlock, Modesto, originally. Okay. Out here from the area, went to college out here in Turlock, um, knew a lot of people out here, knew the fair manager, and was talking to him. And he mentioned he was going to retire. And I figured it'd be time for me to get out of the Bay Area and come home and have, have a little slower lifestyle. So it all worked out in my favor. So I got quite lucky on that end of it. And then before that, you were with San Mateo. What'd you do with them? Uh, I did the fair for eight years, six years with them. But I started out doing the events. I was the uh, event manager. So I'd work with the Yahoo corporations, other companies coming in, and I would be their liaison for the facility. I'd walk them through, start to finish on the events, from parking to the event, after the event, making sure the maintenance crew had all the needs covered, dealt with all the clients, all the billing, um, just really held their hand all the way through their event planning process. Got it. So you've got a, you've got a lot of uh, well-rounded experience with the industry. And then you come on over to Stanislaus and I, you know, I got to tell you, there's been a number of outstanding commercials that your organization has put out uh, award-winning commercials. If I'm not mistaken at IEFE, one that comes to mind is the Imagine the Memories campaign that was back in 2015, 2016, somewhere right in there. Um, I, it, you know, it's the one with the Ferris wheel and all the, the period music where it starts out with the little kids, like, you know, wearing like the 50s garb. And then um, it just the music changes. It goes all through their lives. And these kids grow up. They have a family. They become grandparents and, and grow old together. I think it's just a fantastic commercial um can you talk about the creative process your team goes through in creating great video content like that so for the last number of years um our marketing director adrena alkis uh, she's got a phd in marketing uh, she is a marketing whiz she put together a great team and worked with a lot of great uh creative people here locally that really created those storyboards and those graphics um and they spent uh, about a year year and a half really developing that concept together to bring it out you know, going for the history, the retro, making it current, bringing it all back together, that Ferris wheel and, and um, the imagery and whatnot. So she really was the creative force driving that that aspect of it, those commercials. She's been the uh, the brainchild for a lot of it. It's, I mean, it was an amazing ad. I, I feel like most of the commercials in our industry are almost all the same. 
you know, you, you see them and they, for being a creative event industry, we don't get real creative with our ads. Most of the commercials are like, you know, the county fair is coming to town, ride all the rides, get your corn dog, get your tickets now, the county fair. And it's just all the same thing over and over, but it doesn't really tell a story, doesn't really necessarily pull it at any emotions for people. Your organization, you guys clearly have a different approach. When I first saw that Imagine the Memories commercial, I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, the message that's there, the, that the fair is at the heart of so many of our memories is a powerful one. It's just such a great story. Um, what do you think makes that message so powerful for your community? Uh, out here in our community, we are a fair-driven community. Um, you know, when you think, when you hear the word fair, a lot of people think of carnival rides, funnel cakes, animals. Some areas have gone beyond that where they're a little more tech-driven, more commercial-driven. Uh, whether it's motorsports or the arena or the vendors, you know, every, every community is a little bit different. We're still pretty traditional out here in the way we approach the fair. Uh, it really is a high school gathering. You come out, you talk to people, they're seeing high school friends from 60 years ago. Wow. That's why they come to fair. They see their friends and their buddies and that's their meeting point. Um, so it really pulls that traditional Americana community value that is still prevalent out here in our community. That's fantastic. You know, there's a number of really good ads that I've seen. Um, you know, one of the other ones that comes to mind was from Los Angeles County, and I forget what year it was. Um, it might have been like 05, 06, but it's the girl shopping on Rodeo Drive. I'm not sure if you remember this one. And um, like she, she looks at the fabric and she's like, is this silk? And the, the store clerk's like, yeah. And the other friend goes, you mean like from a cow? And she's all, uh-huh. And then the whole, you know, it's these, these kind of completely disconnected city folks talking about the county fairs or talking about agriculture it, with the, the punchline at the end that if there's any county that needs a county fair, it's Los Angeles, you know. And I, I just think it's, that's a perfect commercial for their area because it's, it's so telling, you know, of, of who they are. It's a funny, lighthearted bit. Um, you know, some of these commercials are just so good. And I, I had this thought. I had this thought for our industry. There's a lot of organizations out there that could not afford to create a commercial like what you guys did or what LA did with these. I mean, I got to, I can't even, I don't even want to know what it must've cost to clear all of that music for the commercial. Cause that couldn't have been cheap. Cause you got everything from um, like old fifties music to Taylor Swift in that commercial. There's a price tag on that. So that your, that one might not be the best example for this, this idea, but what would happen if an organization like yours produced a video like that, and then after you used it in subsequent years, you licensed it to maybe five or six other fairs in different media markets and region? It could be potentially a win-win. You guys would eventually, over the course of a few years, would get that commercial paid for, and then other fairs that could not necessarily afford to produce that level of commercial might be able to license it for a year at a lower rate. What do you think? It probably should, done, should be done a lot more often than what it is. Yeah. Um, I know we've actually trademarked a lot of our collaborative and creative pieces yeah. over the last number of years. The logos, our taglines, all been trademarked. Um, but it really should be more of a collaborative effort among the whole fair industry. Yeah. You share your creative, you rebrand it, you put it out there. And, you know, flattery is the best form of, or imitation is the best form of flattery, as they say, which is great. But I think part of the fair industry is getting better, but a lot of people expect you just to give it to them. 
they expect to be given things. It's just the handout culture that is out there in a little ways or in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, it's not realistic in every sense of the word. Um, sure. You know, everyone wants to help each other, but it's at what cost, at what value and Hey, help somebody, but kick down a little bit for the help. That goes a long ways. And there probably should be a lot more of that across the fair industry to make it a lot easier for everybody knowing you're creative next year or two years later is already done and to do some rebranding. Sure. It'd be easy. It'd be real easy. Yeah, it would be absolutely, especially with a piece like that. I mean, you theoretically all they're all you're doing is is dropping a logo on the end, but in the process, if that video costs you, I don't know, twenty five thousand dollars to put together, but you licensed it out for seventy five hundred you got fairs out there that they're looking at that going, well, we spend, we spend that now on our commercials and it's, it's the same commercial, the County fair come to the fair, but now you've got something with some heart and soul that really creates a memory. I don't know. I asked another fair manager about it once um, at a convention and they said, but we can't win awards if we're just using somebody else's commercial. <laughs> and I'm like, you want to win awards? You want to sell tickets? Cause that's to me is you, that kind of ad sells tickets that pulls at heartstrings that connects your community to your event. I agree. Um, the awards can be nice. The awards look pretty on the wall, but the awards don't pay your bills in the day. That's exactly right. Speaking yeah. of when y'all are marketing for your fair, do you have an idea of what percent of that marketing budget is going like to from like say traditional ad buys, television, whatnot, to outdoor, to social media? What does your typical split usually look like? Um, we've been still pretty heavy in the TV sector. Mostly because when we do the TV side, we take over their online presence, which gets pretty huge um, readership that way. Mm-hmm. But we're still doing 30, 40% TV, another probably 50, 60% on radio. Okay. And then the rest will be out of home marketing. Interesting. Um, whether it's online or it's going to be uh, billboards and so on. But we tend to get a good partnership with our radios and TV where they include a lot of the online stuff with us and for us. And our online presence natively are has been grown so organically for the fair. We've got 50,000 followers on Facebook. Yep. So it's a pretty big presence for a single event putting out there. Sure. And are you guys doing um, online ticketing and whatnot? They can, folks can buy their, their passes and whatnot at, yeah. the, at home? Yeah. yeah. No, everything's pretty much online right now for uh, admission and carnival and all that fun stuff. Well, it makes so much sense too, because it reduces the, and I've said, been saying it for years and more and more. I'm so happy to see more and more fairs are, are finally going over to it to online ticketing. You're removing friction from your buyer. You know, I, I've always thought it's awfully funny that, um, or it, it, not funny necessarily, but it's kind of sad when you look at the, at, at, you know, we're in 2019, 2020, 21, when, when online ticketing can be so prolific, that we're still asking busy soccer moms to stop by the, you know, the local grocery store to buy the ride bands or the local bank to buy their ride bands. And I sit here going, one, your soccer moms, your moms are the ones making the, the buying decisions for the family, the majority of families that come to our events, make it easy for mom, you know? So if you got to, if mom's got to, has to get off work, you know, get kids from school, get them to soccer practice, go make dinner, do all this kind of, all those things that moms handle. And then you say, Oh, by the way, can you swing by the bank and pick up a ticket for the fair? That just is a complete disconnect to me when it would make so much more sense to have a really great ad like yours that rolls on Facebook and they see it while they're sitting in their pajamas at night, relaxing, getting ready to fall asleep. And they go, Oh, 
you know, it's uh it's get $5 off this weekend or 10, whatever, boom, one yeah. button and it's done. It just makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely plays right to that demographic and the moms pulling the, pulling the, um, the ticket purchase thing going for the kids, you know, it's that surprise gift for them when she's in bed tired and just relax. I'm trying to unwind from the day of kids and house and everything else. Yeah. Now, prior to the pandemic, what did you guys find was working really well for you guys uh, on the marketing front? Was it was it social? Was it TV? What where do you guys you know what was working the best? Uh, social was definitely the the driving force for us. Um, like I said our Facebook accounts got a lot of followers, so we have a huge impact there. Plus, our other partners have huge uh, following, so the social media side goes really big. Um, we've kept big and traditional just because of their online presence as well. I mean, personally, I think radio and, and a TV is kind of going away. Not radio, I'm sorry, but uh, TV and print disappearing. Yep. Um, but they're all transitioning over to the online side. So you got to go traditional to get their online set presence as well. So sure, that's where it's at. Yeah. And they're still, of course, on their end, they're still trying to package the TV commercials and their online side together. Uh, but but make no mistake, they know they know just as well as we do that that TV advertising is going to look a lot like, uh, you know, what happened to the, the radio when television came out over the next number of years. People have just, we're a mobile first society. I, I can't, my television and turns on to stream for Netflix or Amazon Prime or HBO Max or like there is rarely, rarely, I bet less than 20 hours a year that we're watching actual television programming on our TV. It's all it's all pre-packed streaming stuff. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've got four young girls, and we, everything we do is all streamed TV. You know, the closest I get to normal TV is a CBS app or Paramount Plus, I guess it is now. Yeah. Um, and that's close I get to normal TV shows. That's through the app. So you don't see commercials. You don't see the ads. You don't do – I don't get the news that way. Nope. I don't know anything going on that way. So it's – definitely changing how we get the news out there. We, we broadcast our uh, information and we advertise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you guys, it, I think what you do better than most is the way you message it. Cause it's not just like, come on out, get a, you know, two for one ticket. You know, you tell a story, you guys are storytellers um, in an extraordinary fashion that I just don't see many others that rise to that level. And in, I wish they would because there's so much potential for creativity and great stories within our industry. Um, I, I hope you guys will continue doing that in a, in a post pandemic world that, you know, that creative flair, because it works, it seems to work really well for you guys. It has worked well and it'll hopefully keep working well for us. Um, like everyone else, the post pandemic will be a whole interesting experience we get into. And that could be a topic for another day multiple times over on how that looks and what it looks like and what works on marketing. And, yeah, and it's going to change a hundred times between now and that other day. Cause it, it yeah. just feels like every time so we turn daily. around, the Biden administration says one thing, the CDC <laughs> says another world health says something. It was the same all of last year. The CDC would say, here's the guidelines. And a week later it'd be like, no, 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 that's not the guideline anymore. And things just change so fast. I just kind of, I don't know about you, but I just, you know, Held on for the ride. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, what else no, you hold on. And, and the scary part is also is you unplug to a certain degree. I know I've unplugged a lot of what I hear, what I'm seeing. Um, and I've already been thinking about how that will impact our marketing and advertising side. I'm trying to market me with four young girls that come to the fair and have the fair experience. How do I get me? Yeah. And right now it's not on social media. 
Yep. It's, so I don't know it, what that answer is. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there could be a little, uh, and I've wondered about this because I've watched my son at home doing virtual school, and I've wondered if the screen time might change with any sort of significance in a post-pandemic world where parents are like, yo, you just got done with virtual school. You were on screen six hours a day for a year and a half. You know, we're going to start squeezing on screen time. I think that could be a possibility. Um, I still think, you know, cost factor wise, advertising through Facebook is still the, I, I don't think there's anything that can touch it cost wise. It's so cost effective and the data they have, um, you know, I, I think fair should continue. And honestly, I think we're going to see a day in the next decade where fairs are 90, 95% of their spend is going to be on social. I, I, I really do. I think you're going to see TV commercials just all but disappear. Radio will, will disappear. Although it's radio is interesting to me. If it's, if it's a commercial, if you're stripping the audio from your commercial and putting it on a radio, I don't see that working as well, but the kind of, the commercial where the where the on-air talent, like on the morning show, is reading your message, I think that hits different because I think more people listen to those shows. And the people that do listen to those shows tend to trust those those uh, radio personalities. So when they read something about, hey, we're taking our family to the fair this weekend, I think that hits differently. So that's still interesting to me. Um, with so much unknown in California right now, you're in the great state of California. <laughs> Uh, what, what, here we go. Are you ready? What do you see happening for 2021? I mean, you've already had a number, obviously the spring and some of the early summer fairs have already (laughs) folded and walked away from the table. We chatted with Walter Marquez recently from LA County, um, on what, you know, their future looks like. What are, what's the future look like for you guys out there in California? Uh, we're still trying to find that crystal ball. Um, you know, considering I have a fortune machine attraction, I should be able to help you with this, but it's, I've not been real good at it. I should be asking you for the answer right now. Be some help for me. The, yeah, the, the fairs that are in that May, June, July timeframe are at a real weird point. Um, you know, it takes a while to put a full fair together, planning wise, agreements, contracts, vendors. It's a year long process for most people. So to go through the process now and not be able to do a fair come June or July, you're gonna spend a lot of money getting there and show nothing for it. Right. So that's a hard part. Um, if you wait until you're told you can do a fair and you're told in June, that you got a July fair date, you've got a month to put it together uh, for a typical fair. That's tough to do also. Yep. Um, so that's where we sit, you know, we're at July fair. So we're trying to figure out how much planning do we do? How much money do we spend right now in hopes we'll do a fair in July? And can we afford to spend that money now planning a fair and not get it back? And that's that hard part because in my mind, this is a marathon. It's we're got to go the distance. It's not a sprint. You got to get through this year and next year. Uh, the fairs that are September, October, even late August, more than likely we'll get told June, July, hey, we're open. You can go ahead and get it. They're lined right. up perfect for that. Right. And they'll have the runway to get their events off the ground. You guys are yeah. not at that point being in July. If you were a September fair, that that's 60 days that would could really make a big difference. But right now, I mean, with your governor, with, with his orders and whatnot, not looking good? 
it's not looking good. And, you know, the counties, our county is heavily impacted on the numbers right now. Um, we still can't get out of the purple tier or the, the California tier basis that we're setting in. So we're still under a, a lockdown, quote unquote, of what we're doing. Um, so it's just kind of wait and see and hoping, hopefully it changes. A lot of the schools are getting open back up again for kids, but it's a modified schedule. You know, 15 kids in a classroom, two days a week, at home, three days a week. Yeah. You know, and to have people walking around with food and drink in hand, rubbing shoulders, doing carnival rides and live music. How do you go from shut down in March to wide open? By July. How it was in 2019 in, in three months. Yeah. I don't know. Especially when you probably really need that. I'm guessing for a fair that is the attendance the size of yours. Um, you probably, I mean, obviously you guys plan year round, but it's that last 90 days out, 60 days out that the flurry of activity starts happening. And, and more than that, you got to start committing your ad spend. You got to start spending those dollars and without any guarantee that you're going to get, you're even going to be able to open. You know, that's why yeah. my heart broke last year for God, Houston, eight days in, shut it all down. You know, you think about RCS. We just talked with, with Dominic Palmieri from, you know, mm -hmm. they, he does a lot of their food there at RCS. How, how do you, that's just a, a complete financial ass kicking. I mean, that's what that is. That's what RCS and the folks in Houston took. I don't blame Chris Bowman for pulling the plug on this thing early this year with so much unknown. And yet at the same time, you got Florida fairs that are, that are open. They're not open at a hundred percent. You know, the crowds are, are less, but they're open and they're doing it safely. Yeah, they're open. They're doing it safely. Um, and there's still a lot of chatter on, is that financially feasible? You know, that's the hard part. Yep. If you're open at half capacity, do you only have half your bathrooms opened up or half the staff cleaning bathrooms or mow half your lawns? At what right. point can you cut back to have the same ROI on there? Yes. Because you definitely don't want to lose money in what you do. Uh, and you want to do something for the community, but you got to be financially smart about how you're doing it too. And that's the hard part where we're all trying to figure out how much we open, when we open, what can we offer when we do open up? Yep. Um, well, and you want to make sure you words, offer enough like of, it. you want to make sure you open You offer enough of a product that your, your fair guests don't come out. Even if they come out at 60 or 70%, they don't want to come out and go, well, this sucks. I'm not coming back next year. And now you've offended your audience. Well, and that's the other thing that I've been looking at too, is like for us, for example, if we were to change our dates and do a August, September event, mm -hmm. would you call it a fair or not? If we still do livestock in July, we don't have competitive exhibits and we do just Food, alcohol, carnival rides, some strolling entertainment, some live entertainment. Is that a festival? And then would that change the perception of the guests coming through? Because when you come to the fair, you expect to see grandma's jams, the quilts, yep. the kids' activities. The 4-H shows, all that stuff. Yeah, you want to see that. But if it's a festival, a little different expectation. So it's just a matter of how you put it together and what do you want it to be at that time. Yeah. Well, and at that time is going to eventually come, whether it's for you guys, whether it's uh, 21 or 22. And when it does come, you may still have a, depending on when that is, you may still have a sizable chunk of your population that's a little nervous. I mean, there's been, um, I think the psychological toll from everything we've listened to for the last year has to be taken into consideration for our events. That you've got people that regardless of how safe the science will say it is, a year, two years, three years, whenever it is, you have people that are just going to be freaked out and not want to go out. So, you know, let's say a family calls your office, 
they want to come to their fair, but they're a little bit nervous. How do you kind of assuage those fears and, and message to them and make them feel more comfortable about coming to your fair? If it's a fair done like it was in 2019, where it's just the typical normal wide open fair, there's not a whole lot you can do short of providing hand sanitizer across the place, still promoting social distancing and encouraging these guests to wear masks. Yeah, we'll probably wear masks as a whole for the next couple of years, the way it's looking. I think so. So that plays into it. Um, but, you know, you got a large community that doesn't want to wear a mask. They're over wearing the mask or they don't believe in the mask making a difference. Yeah. So right, wrong or other, how do you balance out, balance out the two without one group not showing up at all? Yeah. I'm not sure if you really can make it a positive experience for all coming through the gate. It's I hate take saying a- that, but it's the truth. No, I think you are. I think you're right. I think it's going to be a number of years bef- that not only are we still going to be wearing masks, probably I'm going to bet at least the next year to 18 months. Um, and it may taper some, some regions that may, you know, Texas has pulled their mask mandate recently. Um, stores and local businesses are, you know, still free to make their own decisions for with their, you know, their employees and, and their guests in their store, which I, I think that's fine. Um, but other places are, man, they're going to keep it locked up as long as they can. And I think some of that comes down to not so much the science, but the people that are making the, you know, the governors and mayors and health departments, what kind of psychological um, impact they've, they've experienced in the middle of all this. Cause right now people are freaked out. I think depending on where you're at, it's less so, but man, I'm last fall, there were places I would go to the grocery store. And I'd sneeze, God forbid. And I had my mask on and I would make sure that like, I took my jacket and kind of sneezed into my jacket too. So I'd like doubled up and you sneeze in a grocery store right now, or you cough. Do you know who, how many people look at you and they start like, Oh my God. And they're going the other direction. Well, that's how you get that wide bubble around it for nobody walking near you. Maybe that's, I need to do when I get in, I see, I got to be smarter about this. I need to save that sneeze (laughs) until I'm in the checkout line and there's 17 people in front of me and I go, oh yeah, here I'll go. Uh, This one's available. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. And I'll be out of there five minutes. (laughs) Let's go ahead and get you out a little more quickly. Oh man. I don't know. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your fair. What are the must sees at your fair? The must sees we we're a heavy motorsports fair. We got a good arena. Uh, we'll pack our arena in with destruction derbies. Two destruction derbies. They include the motorhome derbies. In fact, our motorhome derby got premiered by um, National Geographic uh, TV show That's back cool. in 2019. Uh, so that was great. They're out there filming and doing that whole thing, seeing the motorhomes get destroyed. Um, so we just love our motorsports, our tractor pulls and, and uh, monster trucks. That's just a lot of what we do out here. You know, and being a smaller county, our livestock show is still really huge. We had a, our livestock show expands beyond our fair dates. Wow. We have a 10 day fair. We run 12, 14 days of livestock. Um, so we got a lot of kids, a lot of animals rolling through. Um, and we with a lot of creative people coming out with different exhibits and displays put on in that area. That's cool. That's I, I like hearing that the, the livestock is going on and, and being successful at our fairs. I've said before on the show, it's amazing to me last year as we watched on the announcements on Facebook, sorry, we're canceling. Sorry, we're canceling. So one after the other, 
there was nobody that was like, but what about the fortune machine? But what about the carnival? <laughs> but what about the juggler? No one cared. But all of them were like, what about the 4-H kids? What about FFA and their livestock show? What, what are we doing for them? Our communities all across this nation rallied around our kids. Yeah. And I love seeing that. Yeah, we got put in a spot where when we actually had to cancel the fair last year, we didn't know what we could do for the livestock show. And we stripped down and we did an online virtual show and sale and went that route with it. But we weren't sure we could handle all the species. So our beef group went off separate and we had beef supporters that came in and took care of our beef kits on the market side independently of the fair. Um, kids in the dairy side, the dairy heifers, they got taken care of independently from the local auction yard on selling their animals and taking care of that way. So a lot of our community stepped up and took care of these kids, but we really couldn't do it. You know, we had too many question marks on what we can do and how can we do it? Yeah. Um, at that point, the governor and the county said, we're a hard shutdown and being safe property where we are, you know, when your boss says, no, you're done. You're done. You're done. Yeah. So th th this group, our, our community really stepped in and took care of the kids in a big way. And some kids made out well, some kids broke even, but at least they got covered and didn't lose what they could have lost. So that sure. was good. For sure. What drives your passion in this industry? What drives my passion? Um, you know, I love the event side of it. I love all the events throughout the, the year and, and during the fair. And my approach to the fair is it's a lot of little events put together. And I love having that approach. I love just the event side of it. I really love the in, the out, the production side. Um, it comes to me really easy. I love seeing how we make all of it work. And in the fair, you've got your livestock, your competitive exhibits, your entertainment, uh, your food and your drink, your commercial vendors. That's all little mini events that intertwine together. And it's really making the intertwining go smoothly and easy that I love doing. Um, and then I experienced, uh, this is back in 2012, I think, at the fairgrounds. And I was watching a family walk by and it was 11 o'clock at night. Fair still going. There's a three-year-old girl walking on with her family, trying to eat more of her cotton candy crying because she can't eat more. Parents don't let her right now, but she's still saying it was the best day of her life. All at the same time, crying for more cotton candy, saying it's the best day, and still just chugging along at, a th at three years old at 11 o'clock at night, having a good time at the fair. That image right there is just what it's really about. It really is about the kids having fun and becoming a father and bringing my kids to the fair, seeing the joy in their faces on the carnival and the food and they're running the fairgrounds. It's different in that regards. How old are your so, kids now? Uh, I got an eight-year-old. I'm sorry, I got an 11-year-old. And I got my three stepdaughters are eight, six, and four. How have they handled uh, all the this whole craziness with the pandemic? Actually, it wasn't bad for our family, to be honest. Uh, Gives us a lot more time together. Um, I've only been married two years now. So I got married two years ago. So the shutdown really gives a lot more family time together. And that's been good. Uh, a lot more bonding, a lot more activities with being shut down. I'm at home with them. I'm now doing the distance learning with them. So I'm sitting there next to them during their Zoom classes, trying to keep them focused on Zoom and, and all that. So it, it wasn't bad. A lot more eating indoors or eating at home, home cooking, yeah. um, more arts and crafts at home, playing in the backyard, more bike rides and walks. It, 
it wasn't bad for us on a personal level. You know, the kids did get worried about the COVID this, the COVID that, the crying about the COVID impact. So there was some of that mental stress that we had to deal with a little bit. But you know, we told the kids, it, it's you get sick, you got to get better. It's like anything else. And we'll take care of you the best we can. And we don't go to certain places to protect you. So we'll just keep doing that and we'll have fun here at home. So that was good. The hardest part was them dealing with not being in school. When school yeah. opened back up in August last year, they wanted to see their friends. And that was the single hardest part they deal with. So you guys are back in school at some level, not in full, but. Yeah, some level. Some, uh, some, some kind of, of districts a, I guess, are, like a hybrid where they're in a couple days and then they're doing distance learning the other days. Yeah, some are back in right now doing two days a week. Um, some school districts are opening back up in two or three weeks doing the hybrid. Um, usually they're in school either on Monday and Tuesday, and then they're out. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or they're out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're back in Thursday, Friday. And it's half the kids in the classroom. So you got 15 kids in your group in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and 15 are at home, but they're all on their Chromebooks doing Zoom at the same time. Right. It was kind of weird to have a kid, I guess, in the classroom on Zoom when the teacher is in the classroom right there on Zoom also. Yeah, our districts, they've been, you know, I think they're pretty much at this point, they voted they're going to stay virtual the rest of the year because just the time it takes them to get the the buses get rehired because they were told, oh, February 8th, you can reopen. And they were told that like two weeks out and APS was like, takes us a month just to get our bus drivers hired what and trained. And, and the governor, our, our governor just boom, dropped us on them. Nobody really saw that change coming. And um, so they're going to, they're going to stay virtual, but the craziness to me, I told my wife, um, Sarah, who's she's an assistant principal with the district. I told her, I said, I will be damned if that district's going to reopen and we're going to send Nate into school in fourth grade. And then he's going to sit on a Chromebook in school for six hours. No, no, no. If he's going into that classroom, he's closing that damn Chromebook and he's learning <laughs> in the classroom. That's the whole idea. I want him to quit staring. Like he's, he's already got him. Mean, he's got his phone. He's got his Xbox. He's got, he's already got enough screen time during the day. I don't, this the Chromebook thing cannot go away fast enough. It has been, it, I'm glad they had, I'm glad we had the tech, right? It, it, it was a life raft, but this life raft needs to come on shore. Like we need to get the kids back in the classroom in traditional learning environments and, you know, and get them back to doing what they're doing. It does. The kids really need some physical interaction and they'll have a teacher walk up and point on the paper, what you did wrong or how you did or have them go through it versus, taking a picture, submitting it online, trying to see how close it is, the clarity of the picture. Yep. They, they need that physical interaction with the teacher to really right. get it right. Well, in the early childhood development, just the, the social interaction with other kids on the playground, at the lunch, in the classroom, working in a small group, there's no, Zoom can't touch that, right? Google Classroom just can't touch that. It does not provide them the same type of development. So I, I really think that um, come August, man, APS better be ready to open and not put my kid on a Chromebook in school because that's not what he's uh, there that, for. that better be everywhere. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so yeah, well, the, listen. Uh, the, easy, the easy part of my week is actually coming to the office. Yeah, it's quiet at the office, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you. No, no kids fighting, no yelling, no hitting, no <laughs> screaming. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you know you talk about having more time with your family and and that's that's been beneficial for us. Um, 
like as soon as I'm done here, you know, Nate and I are, I don't know whether it's kind of nice here in Albuquerque today. So I don't know whether it's a bike ride or we're going to go play catch, but I'm like, we got to get, we, we've been in the house. This is that winter time where we're starting to come out of winter and starting to get warm and I'm ready. I've got such cabin fever. I'm ready for warm weather. I'm ready to go do stuff with the family, go on hikes and do all that kind of stuff again. And hopefully our governor will allow us to do that in 2021. <laughs> so listen, um, real quick, IFE announced just recently, I'm curious your thoughts on this 2022, they're going to Indianapolis. Is that, I know you guys in California were kind of blocked out of going to Texas um, because of some law they had or, or whatnot. Are you guys going to be able to attend in Indianapolis? I think we would have the option. Um, I haven't checked the uh, paperwork at see if that's on the no travel list for us as state employees. I don't think it is. So I think we could be out there. So that'd be an interesting trip to go out and make because I haven't been to IFE since Vegas. Yeah. So it's been what, three years now for me? Three years. 21 will be the fourth year. Yeah. I like San Antonio. Um, I kind of, you know, we've talked to other guests about it. I like from 22, 23, 24, and 25, they're going to be in a new city every year. So I'm kind of up for, uh, you know, change things up and, and, you know, maybe gives people a fresh look at, at the trade show. Cause then the floor is laid out a little different. I'm curious when you do, whether it's WFA or, or IFE, when you wandering around a trade show, what catches your eye um, as far as, as entertainment and acts go? I look for something a little bit different, I guess, something not normal, something a little unique. Yeah. Um, I also have an aversion towards what I call that, that, that tchotchke gimmicky stuff. There's some entertainment that's a little too gimmicky. That okay. doesn't attract me at all. So I kind of avoid that a little bit. Um, I also have an experience in a history where in San Mateo, we did events with the Maker Fair group. If you don't know what Maker Fair is, it's that DIY tech side meets youth. It's like Silicon Valley meets the kids. And it really is about robotics and tech and that kind of stuff. So I'm always interested to take a look at what's new and progressive on the entertainment side um jugglers are great you know clowns are great all that stuff is good fun entertainment but it's also been around for the last number of years it, it, for sure it's historical and it's good but it's got some history behind it what's fresh what's new um what's robotics what's being done that way what's hands-on interactive so i tend to look more towards those types of things to see what would make sense. And I look for options to refresh what we got going. It's been a historical staple. You know, so we have doing a hypnotist every year. That's great. It's a lot of fun. Can we add a fresh one in or a new one in to just give it a different feel? Sure. Sure. So that's how I approach it. Cool. Well, listen, man, we're just about out of time. I'm glad I could get you on the show today and visit with you. Um, everybody who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions and you give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? I'm ready. He's holding his breath with fear. I can tell <laughs> he's nervous. Hold my cup. <laughs> Hold my beer. He says, all right. Question one, favorite fair food. Corn dog. Name a fair that you'd like to visit, but haven't had a chance to go to yet. Uh, Erie County. When you travel, what's one thing you must have with you? Toothbrush. If money's no object, name the first place you'd go on vacation when the pandemic ends. 
Alaska. You can have a guest role on any television show, past or present. Which show? On any television show? Chips. Chips. Nice. <laughs> and here's one. You're going to get a laugh in this one. On the last day of a convention, is your badge facing forward or backward? What badge? <laughs> he goes in without a badge. He's like, nope, I'm I'm not even a, I'm not even a fair guy. I like that. What badge? You know exactly what I'm talking about, Matt. <laughs> uh, no, I, I keep it forward. I don't turn it around. I'm not that guy. You're not. It's funny is is as I've asked that question to fair managers throughout this the uh, the podcast. Some of them like all of a sudden a couple have gotten big eyes at me. Like, oh my god, they they know <laughs> they know the trick. <laughs> It's not, you know, it's not a, a big deal to me. Like, I, I don't know. My approach at the trade show is different. I just visit with people. I've literally gotten done with a trade show in the past and driven home. And my wife's been like, so did you get any bookings? And I'm all, uh, uh. like, I forget to do business. Like, I just talk <laughs> yeah. to people and catch up. It's like a family reunion. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, you know, like, you know, like, I don't know, Nancy Smith will come by from South Carolina State Fair and we'll talk for five or eight minutes and, it's nice catching up with her. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even ask her about her fair this year. And if, if we're going to do something, oops. No, my, my, my biggest pet peeve is the hard sell. Being given a hard sell on the trade show. So there's times where I've actually taken the badge off so you don't get marked because we'll see you. Take your name down, your fair name, and then you'll get phone calls and emails and everything else within three or four days. And they're hammering on you to book them. I like a little more softer... Right. Well, going into it a little more organic that way. Uh, but yeah, there are times where the whole badge just kind of comes off. Sure. Well, and I think that that comes to comes down to the exhibitor and, and how good they are at communicating with people. I, I read people pretty quick and, you know, there are questions you as a fair manager will ask me as an act that I know you're looking a book right then. Like you, you see something you want and before that convention's over, you're going to have a booking. And then there's things that you say where I accuse me and I go, okay, so this might be a January, February follow-up. And that's when I'll say, so when, when, uh, when do you typically make your decisions? When would be a good time for me to, to follow up with you? And I get, oh, yeah. you know, we, our board meets in February and we make all the decisions. Okay. How about I follow up with you at the end of January and get you some more information or answer any questions for you? That's it. Yep. You know, not no, everybody gets it. And I tell you what, that hard sell guy, I've been in the aisle across from that guy before. And I'm like, <laughs> by the end of the show, nobody's walking down my aisle. Cause you all talk, you'll don't go down the 300 aisle. Don't go down there. Yeah. Well, by the first day of convention, you realize where you want to not go on day two and day three. Yes. And, and not all the acts get it. In. And not all the acts get it. And there's times I've literally told the guy next to me, I'm like, Hey man, you got, I know you're new here, but you got to bring it down or no one's going to come through this aisle. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. We got to get sales. It's all the sales. And I'm like, not in this industry. It isn't. <laughs> not how it works. Nope, well, not for next year's booking. Yeah, right. Uh, really great having you on the show today. If folks want to get in contact with you, how can they reach you? Uh, they can drop me an email or drop me an email, I guess. Email's it. The email is, is the thing. Uh, listen, really glad you could be on the show today. Matt Cranford, CEO of the Stanislaus County Fair out there in California. We're crossing our fingers for you guys here in 2021. I know it's, you guys are right on the, right on the cusp of whether it could happen or not. Hopefully California gets open and you guys can get some events going at some point this year. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. 
No, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me on and look forward to come back on again. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.